want to welcome you to Genesis Community Church. My name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, which is awesome. It is January 8th, uh, so we're kind of back to our normal flow. We have our children's ministry going again. We didn't have that for a couple of Sundays in a row, so they're back, back there. And um, I was already kind of walking in the back as, as we were beginning and hearing kids singing, and it was just, it was great. So that's going on. With the seating's different. If you're new here, you don't know that. But we had a wedding here yesterday, and I kind of looked around. I went, I kind of like it. Let's just see how it goes. Uh, and if you ever notice, like sometimes with the middle row, you get hands and heads in the camera. So I was like, well, let's just see how it goes. So just settle in. You know, Willie, if you were right there, we'd be like, man, well, I can't see anything. Uh, so, so we're going to give it a run. And uh, just settle in, get comfy. Glad that you are here. We're continuing in January in a series on prayer and fasting is what we're calling it. It's called Hungry for God. And we're examining the scriptures that refer, not all the scriptures, but places in scripture that refer to prayer and fasting. As we see them in their context going, what's going on here, God? And what can we as your people learn about it? Now, to do that, we have to kind of position these passages in their book and know what's going on. And so each time we go through these, especially with our Old Testament books, with which we're a little less familiar, we're going to kind of go, here's what's going on here. And then we're going to go back to the passage and see it in its context and go, okay, that's what we mean. So we'll get to Joel here in just a moment. You heard a big chunk of the book of Joel. But there's a phrase that a lot of people use when they, they hurt somebody. Or they've been hurt, either side of it. When you've wronged someone, when you have broken the rules, when you have, uh, when you have broken the contract that exists between people, it feels bad. But very often, we want to kind of jump past the feeling bad, and you just ask this question to people. Hey, are we good? Are we good? And most people will say what, regardless. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Like, it doesn't matter how embittered you actually still are. It doesn't matter that they stole $700 from you and never gave it back. Hey, we're good. We're good. It's no big deal. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think I don't think you're good. Like, let's not pretend we're good when we're actually not. But that's just what we do in relationships because we have a very difficult time having hard conversations with people to say, <clears throat> actually, I'm not good. I'm not good. You know, there's been there's there's wrong here. There's a relational issue here, and I'm not okay. I want to be okay, but I'm not okay. <clears throat> and then that process, sometimes for humans, takes a little while to work through. But we've kind of wired ourselves to not overlook an offense, which is a rather noble thing at times, but we've wired ourselves to act like an offense didn't bother us when it did. That's different. Uh, and so we act like things don't bother us when they actually do. And then... We live with all of these relational injuries because we've never actually dealt with them. Now, we're notorious for this kind of baggage that we walk around with because it's very hard for us to address hurts in real ways. It is very hard for us to know what we've done when we have harmed somebody. Now, all the more... We also often view our relationship with God in that kind of transactional sense. Where we go, God, are we good? Like, are things okay? And, and you go, sometimes like sin and the consequences of sin in our lives have really hindered our, our ongoing fellowship with God. Not our salvific, insured by Jesus kind of, like we have that, that remains. But it's hindered our ability to walk with God. In the same way, acting like a relationship is fine 
actually hinders our ability to walk with those people. Like if you've ever lent people money and they never paid it back, and, you, and you're like, even if you're like, I'm fine, but you're like, <clears throat> still, it's just there. I mean, I remember talking to somebody about a family member he'd loaned money to. He's like, he still owes me X amount of thousands of dollars. Uh, he's like, but it's okay. I'm like, doesn't sound like it's okay. <laughs> Sounds like you kind of remember how much he owes you. <laughs> like that's, that's a little different. When it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father, we sin. We sin. And we have to know what to do with that. And very often, we just kind of go, oh, it's fine, it's fine, no big deal. Like, like, like God, God's forgiving. And that's true, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First uh, John 1.9. Like, it's a, it's a go-to verse for me. I try to remind myself of that verse every morning when I'm praying for myself and confessing whatever sins I can recall from the past 24 hours. So it's a go-to. I get it. But at times, we go, how do we, how, how do we respond to God when we have sinned against him? When we're not living in, in keeping with, with what he's asked of us as his people, when we're not honoring him with our lives, when we have disregarded his word and what he has said, when, we, <clears throat> when we've hidden ourselves from him. And so we have kind of a my bad approach with God, too. Hey, my bad, God. I didn't mean to do it. Like, are we good? Are we good? But, but if you look at his word, there are all kinds of different ways the scriptures talk about going to God. All kinds of different ways they talk about how he wants his people to go to him, to respond to him, to, to repent and turn to him. And, and it, there are different responses even throughout scripture. And we're going to see, <clears throat> we're probably familiar with Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. And, and the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. The church is born and Peter stands up and he gives a speech about what has gone on in everybody's sight. And as he's speaking, they're cut to the heart. And he says, what should we do? He goes, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He gives them a, a response because the, the people who are there, the Jewish people who are there, are like, okay, this is a big deal. What do we do about this? And he gives them a, a response to turn to God. Well, we don't realize that, that maybe what he's quoting in Acts chapter 2 actually comes from Joel chapter 2. Now, it comes from what comes right after this. What we just read is kind of the lead-in to the part of the Spirit, where, where, where God through Joel is promising that the Spirit will come, but we don't realize what's happening before <clears throat> there's this conversation. What you'll find is that the response that Peter gives in Acts chapter 2 to how to return to God is actually the response that Joel is, is bringing before the nation in Joel chapter 2, before this promise of the Spirit. So... <clears throat> kind of a cool thing to see. We're going to get into this right now. How does God restore a people who have gone astray and gotten lost in their sin? And, and last week we discussed this with regard to the Ninevites. How do the Ninevites return? Well, they were people who were far from God. And Jonah came and, and gave a message and they turned. And their turn included prayer and fasting. But we're going to get to God's nation Israel today. And how do they, how does God ask them to return? How does, <clears throat> excuse me, how does God address their sin with them through Joel? And how do they return to God? <clears throat> You're going to see some similarities with how they return to God and what rebuke is brought up. Even though the Israelites have this promise and these blessings and God wants to restore 
this reminder, this law, this way that they are operating. And so how does God restore people looking at Joel 2? First thing we're going to do is we're going to see just a, a summary of Joel 2, or 1 through 3. Joel's just three chapters. Then we're going to see the consequence of sin, God's response uh, for it, how he brings up, you know, what do we do about it, and, and what happens afterward. And starting with Joel, we're going to just see this. Joel is a book that shows God's coming judgment as seen in the day of the Lord. That's a, it's a common Old Testament phrase, which is a day of God's judgment being brought upon people. Now, there are little d days of the Lord, and there is a big d day of the Lord. Okay, So any time that, that, that God brought judgment to peoples, in some way, that was a day of the Lord, a day of God's, God's judgment upon them. There would be some kind of response. So the Assyrian captivity would be a day of the Lord. The Babylonian captivity would be a day of the Lord. Being invaded or having something happen, a day of the Lord. And so this phrase was a, a phrase you'd see in the Old Testament, which was a reminder, a way God was bringing judgment and, and bringing the consequences of sinfulness to people. Now, there still is going to be a day of the Lord where he judges all sin finally and forever, banishes it, and his people remain with him in a new heaven and a new earth. So we have up until then these little d days of the Lord that lead us to this final coming where everything is restored. But it's almost as if the days of the Lord provide these resets for God's people. There's judgment and there's reset and they can kind of reestablish the, their, their relationship with their God. So Joel is showing about the coming judgment. He gives a path to repentance. And he gives God's promises of a response of, of restoration. So it's the day of the Lord. It's the, it's the path to repentance. And it's the promise, the response of God that promises future restoration. So uh, you can't read everything that will be on the screen. There's a little Bible project. I use these from time to time just to help people kind of position themselves in books. Uh, Bible project also is interpretive. They have to decide how the book is structured and what's going on. And so uh, anytime you see anybody make a Bible chart, um, it, it really just means this is what we're seeing and this is how it works. And sometimes it's really easy to break down books. And other times you're like, I'm not really sure how it breaks down. Like everybody who's anybody will go... Uh, the book of Isaiah breaks between 39 and 40. Like they'll say, there's a break between 39 and 40, and 40 is different than 39. And so anybody who's going to do that can go 1 through 39. Uh, but let's just look uh, really quickly at a couple of things going on, really in chapters 1 and 2. In chapters 1 and 2 of Jonah, uh, Jonah, Joel, and we don't know the precise date of Joel. It's a little ambiguous as to when it was written. We see this locust army coming. <clears throat> they're coming into the land. They're destroying the land. Chapter 1 is really about the locusts, and chapter 2 is kind of about the locusts. I mean, it's like, it's like the, do the locusts become an army? Now, anybody who's like a doomsday prophet is going to be like, no, those are helicopters. It's like, right? Like you're hearing the wings. And, and so we're not going there with it. We're going to say there's a locust army. <clears throat> and in chapter 2, that army also seems to be becoming a real army, a real enemy that is coming into the land, but also still using locust imagery. Now, that's pretty interesting in and of itself because where else, just think about it, we've preached on this, so if you've been with us a year or two, you should know, where else do we hear about locusts in the Bible? Exodus, yeah, like, like Exodus is a place where we hear about locusts in the Bible. And, and, and are locusts coming on God's people or are coming on God's enemies? 
Enemies, there we go, that's right. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try, if I'm gonna ask a question in a sermon, I'm gonna make it real clear, right? Like, I'm not gonna, I, I'm like, so exactly when is Jesus returning? Like, I'm not gonna do that one. Um, <clears throat> so, like, like I'll, I'll give you one where it's, it's probably gonna be pretty evident uh, in, in this context. It's pretty embarrassing to get it wrong in front of a bunch of your friends. So, yeah, what we start to see is that God actually uses an instrument of judgment on Egypt to now be an instrument of judgment on his people. But with the thing that God had protected them from in the book of Exodus is now the thing that is teaching them about their own disobedience. Right? So, so, so they're now going, oh gosh, we're not protected like we were back in Exodus. Our people aren't protected from the locusts because the land of Goshen never had any of the plagues come upon them. They were preserved. Even when there was darkness on the land, there wasn't darkness in Goshen. And so what you see is this reversal of fortunes, in a sense, where God's people are now receiving the judgment that God's enemies had received. And it's, it's both locust army devouring, destroying, eating at everything, taking over, swarming the land, and it sounds like there's this army that's also coming. Sounds more like army illustration or army images in chapter 2, but in both chapters 1 and chapter 2, there's this response God gives, turn, turn back, and, and this, won't, this won't happen. This, this will end, turn back. So there, in the back half of chapter 2, there's this, this future promise, really, of, of God's pouring out blessing of his spirit. There's this future restoration where, where God's spirit will be with people, and if you're familiar with, with prophetic Books and you know that like there's there's always sometimes you're reading the prophets and you go has this happened yet or is this gonna happen and the answer is usually yes and yes like like it's it's like yes it's happened but it hasn't uh, hadn't totally happened and so in Joel chapter two there kind of pivots to there's this future time when God's spirit is going to be with God's people and he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh this is what. Peter is picking up on in Acts chapter 2. He's going to Joel 2, 28, 29, and it shall come to pass afterward, that is, after this turning back to me, it's going to come afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. And so after this returning, there's this future promise that's given but then into Joel chapter 3, there still seems to be this more future restoration that the people have not yet received. Joel 3, 19, 20, 21. Egypt shall become a desolation. Edom, a desolate wilderness. For the violence done to the people of Judah, <clears throat> because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Judah shall be inhabited forever. And Jerusalem to all generations, I will avenge their, their blood. Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. And so as you end, a lot of the prophets, as you end them, you're kind of like, huh, this doesn't seem to have happened yet. It doesn't, like that world that the prophet is seeing doesn't seem to have fully happened yet. I think that's true. Right? Because it's looking, it's looking to this future restoration that God is going to bring and, and everything will be made right. But right there in Joel chapter 2, there's a call to repentance in 1 through 27 about the condition of the people, their, really the rejection of God's ways, that then results, it ends with, and then after that I'm going to give you my spirit. 
If you go to Acts chapter 2, Peter's giving the response at the beginning of Joel 2 as, as the, the entryway to receive the spirit that God had promised later in Joel 2. It's kind of a neat thing to see. So, here's what we'll do. We'll go through Joel 2, 1 through 27, and that was a, that was a lot of reading. So, I, I may, not, may not reread all of it, but we'll go through these, these sections little by little, and we'll see that Joel 2, 1 through 27 actually breaks down pretty, pretty comfortably, pretty easily. Uh, there's verses 1 through 11. And then we see the return to the Lord that happens 12, 13, 14, uh, all the way through uh, 12, 13, 14, all the way through 16. I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 3. 12, 13, 14, <clears throat> all the way through almost the rest of chapter 2. And then right there till the end, 24, there's like be glad, 23, threshing floors. We'll follow this through. So the first thing that we have to see is 1 through 11. Now, now, at times when you're sharing your faith with people, you'll share your faith in different ways. You'll talk about the Lord with them in, in different ways. But one of the ways that Joel is going to come to this na- the nation with the issue is talking about just how ruinous their sin has left them. This is what you are receiving. This is what is going on <clears throat> in your life. There's ruin of the land which you see, if, you, if, you, if you're in Joel 2, as let the people tremble. The day of the Lord is coming near. Darkness and gloom. Now, if you look like at verse 3 of Joel 2, fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. So you're seeing this imagery of the army. It could be locusts, the army, but these people are coming through. And as they come through, there's fire. And as you look behind, it's desolate. And so... You see then this illustration, the land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness. Nothing escapes them as you continue on in three. And so you see this marching of this army coming in. And as the army comes in, what looks in front looks great, what looks behind looks like a mess. And then you see that there's these images of horses and the peoples are in anguish and like warriors they charge. That's why it's like locust and army imagery that is going on at the same time. And they stay in formation and they just keep coming. Now, very infrequently do we think about the consequences of sin in our own lives. We we, we think about the the big consequence of my sin was placed upon Jesus and I have forgiveness. But at times we think that then we are in a spot where we're good if we just keep sinning. That's why Paul in Romans 6 is like, you can't just keep sinning. So that grace abounds. That's not how it works. You can't just keep doing something so you keep receiving grace. You should be living in a way that's honoring to the Lord. And if you're living in a way that is dishonoring to the Lord, even if you are a part of his faith family, if you're a part of the church family, if you're not honoring the Lord in how you live, there are pretty serious consequences both for you and for others. Because sin, as this imagery in Joel shows us, is just so ruinous. It destroys things. It destroys relationships, families, people, lives, every. It destroys them. Many of you have seen it. If you haven't seen it in your own lives, you've seen it in the lives of others. 
or by God's grace, it's been caught before it destroyed your life in the lives of others, where everything is coming. Now, that is, in a sense, uh, Tim and I were talking about this a little, uh, a little yesterday at the wedding, like, is that God's judgment or is that God's discipline, right? Like, like which one for the believer is, is God bringing in that? Because I said, well, there's little J judgment, which I think is what God is bringing in the consequences of sin. There, there are things that happen in churches, in our lives, when we disobey but it's not the big J judgment where we lose our salvation, which is sometimes we, we blend those things up and people get confused. Are we talking about our salvation? Or are we talking about, I'm like, you're talking about your relationship. Remember some weeks ago we talked about if you operate outside of, like in a marriage, if you operate outside of the vows that you gave, it hinders your ability to operate in that relationship with freedom. When you betray your marriage vows... It hurts the relationship. It harms how you can actually operate because you have broken the trust that should exist. So, you know, not 24 hours ago, there's a couple right here vowing to one another how they will operate. And if that gets broken, it becomes incredibly painful. Well, the nation in Joel 2, is not living in keeping with what God had asked. The nation is not living. And terror is going to come. And what had actually belonged to Egypt as judgment now is falling upon the nation, God's people, as judgment. I think of a few things... Yeah, we've already talked about it, but we fail to realize at times how thoroughly sin affects us in our relationship. Abandonment, addiction, anger, our finances, when we misspend, when we mishandle, greed, cheating, bankruptcy, the stuff that just hinders us from even being generous with others because we've lived for ourselves corporately. I think about this even for myself. If, 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 if I wander and I go astray, the guy that's on the live stream, you know, 85% of the time, if, if, I, if I stumble, if I get caught, if I'm being deceptive with my church family, the reputation of Jesus is harmed. And depending on how serious it is, you become the people who have to then explain what's going on at your church. Oh, wait, is that the church where Hans, is that, the, is that, the, is that him? Right? All, that, all those things have to happen. Why? Because I would have stumbled. I would have deceived. I would have lied. And so we don't realize just at times how serious the consequences of our sin can be. Not just personally, but corporately. What, what, what my sin does to us, what your sin does to us, the way that it hinders our effectiveness in ministry, the way that it hinders our fellowship, all the we're goods that we pass around when really we're not good, all the yeah, it's fine, don't ever think about it again, when really it's not, like, there are times when I talk to my buddy, I have a good friend who pastors up uh, in the Midwest, I think he's crazy because it's like 20 degrees all the time in Iowa, it feels like, and I'll tell him something I'm thinking about, and he'll just go, it sounds like you need to talk to that person. I'm like, it sounds like you need to shut up. Like, like, like that's how I feel because he, he's, he's absolutely right, right? I'm, like, I'm trying to get from him some kind of, oh, man, I totally get it. He's like, I don't get it at all. Like, you just, you just need to have a conversation and be done with that because it's leaking. 
your relational stress is leaking out on me, and I don't want it. And I'm like, good point. Good point. You win, I lose. So, so we're left here. And I, and I mean that even for you and for us. I just go, where is sin hindering your life with Christ? I'm speaking to the believer in the room. Where is your sin hindering your life with Christ and your life with Christ's people? As we think on that, we then have to go, well, what happens next? And God gives the response to what happens next. There is a returning and there is an owning of the consequences of those sins. A returning to the Lord and an owning of those consequences. First in 12, 13, and 14, return to the Lord with a full heart, with all you have. So look, 12, 13, and 14, yet even now, and I love that because that is grace, yet even now, when you are where you are, receiving the consequences of your sin under punishment, discipline from the Lord, yet even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. These are three responses to our sin that I think most of us, if not all of us, don't know how to do. Fasting, weeping, and mourning as we return. Because we're a people of the, are we good? Okay, let's keep going. And and there is this full-bodied expression of brokenness that you see in Joel 2 as there's this return to me with all you have, fasting, weeping, and mourning. And look at verse 13, rend, give it over your hearts and not your garments. That God wants the whole person. He doesn't want the externals. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord. Why? For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. So you hear that even as, as disastrous as sin got the nation in 1 through 11, they're still right there from the Lord is a call to return. And the call is because he relents, because he is gracious, because he is merciful, because he is loving, return. Uh, Tim and Jordan and I were sitting out at the playground after the, the wedding yesterday, and I was talking about one of the ways I fail my kids. I want them to come to me when they screw up. I want that as a dad. I want them to feel comfortable talking to me about the sins that they have committed or the ways that they are hurting. I want them to feel comfortable there. But as an imperfect father, there are times when they come to me and I respond with anger. I'm like, again? Why are we still doing this? Come on. And so it it, it grieves me, but I I also have earned it. Where my kids will come to me and they'll say, I'm going to tell you something, but please don't be mad. But please don't be mad. Why? Because, because I've demonstrated an inconsistent character in response to wrongdoing. But we don't actually get that with our Heavenly Father. Turn to Him. Because you don't have to be afraid of how He'll respond. 
You don't have to be afraid of, of, of his anger or his wrath. Why? Think about it now, today, in 2023. Why? Because of the provision of Jesus. As we sing the song, on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And so we don't have to go to God afraid of how he'll respond because we already know how he has responded. And so we return with all. And in the same way you see this in Jonah, you see this in Joel, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord. And you'll see in the following, like like that's the human perspective, but then on God's side it's like, yes, he will respond. He will be gracious. He will be loving. He will forgive. He will restore. But there is this still, verse 12, return to me with all your heart. Now look at how all your heart is explained further as you look in verse 15, 16, 17. And, and you begin to see this call of everybody, the whole nation. Blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. And it talks about gathering everyone. Gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room, let the bride her chamber. I don't know, for those of you who are married, I don't know what could have stopped your wedding day from happening. Hey, sorry, got to put the wedding on hold. I know all of you came in town and made plans, but we are repenting. Like, well, you can repent tomorrow. Like, like, I got tickets booked. I'm in the hotel. Like, this is only going to cost me money later. Sorry. Like, like, how many of us are so serious about our return to the Lord that we are going to put on hold plans that have significant consequences for the rest of our lives? Don't take that job. Don't do that thing. We gotta, whatever happens after this moment right now will happen, but the first thing we have to do is go to God. That is so hard. I remember talking with a mentor of mine. His name is Fred. Fred is one of the most wonderful men I know. And really, it also really uncomfortable because he's just such a good leader that you just squirm when you talk to him. And I remember you know, a little story about Fred. As I was talking to him about leaving, and I think I've shared this story before, I gave him a call. I was in Baton Rouge. I was going to be leaving my church in Baton Rouge. And I was letting it, the people I knew the most know first. So you're making all these phone calls. It's just heart-wrenching. You're, hey, this is what's going on. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be leaving soon. Um, and so you're doing all that. And I call Fred, and I say to him, hey, man, I'm leaving. And uh, he's silent. I mean, he's, he's driving on, like, some business trip. And he's, he's like, okay. And there's just no noise. And I'm, like, you know, freaking out. He goes, okay, Hans, I'm going to need to pray about this for a little while. And uh, we'll get together, and we'll talk about it later. And I was like... I don't think this is how that works, man. Like, I, like, I'm trying to give you information, and you're turning it into a meeting. Like, like what is that? But as I meet with him, and we did end up a meeting, and that was one of the more stressful meetings of my life. Um, he said to me, in all of our conversations, he goes, I don't like to make decisions if I have time to pray about it. He goes, so I'm either going to give myself 50, you know, 24 minutes or 24 hours or two weeks. I'm going to give myself as much time to, to pray to the Lord 
before I decide based upon however much time that decision gives me. And as a business professional, sometimes it's like, hey, we need to know by the end of the day. He's like, okay, I'll let you know by the end of the day. But the first thing I'm doing is I'm praying. That taught me a good lesson and honestly it was incredibly challenging because so often we live our lives and then we get to God when we can. And the call that is put before the nation here is stop everything you're doing and go to God. Go to God with everything. All you have in every way. And so everybody, from the youngest to the oldest to the most excited about their wedding day to the one who's just eaten lunch at Wendy's, like go to everybody and have a conversation, call them to seek the Lord and have them say, spare your people, O Lord, make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And so what they're actually doing in that, and it's so important even in our own prayer lives, is they're, they're asking God to act in keeping with his character and his promises. They're realizing their side of the, of the relationship has been dis- destroyed, not destroyed, but, but they've heard it so deeply. And so they go back to God, not with any relational capital in the bank in that sense. They go back to God going, you, you care about us and we're your people. And so, so for your sake, do this. One of the best things that we can do in our prayer lives is to wrestle with what Scripture says and bring that back to God. And go, God, what? what I see you say this. I have a whole list of things I pray for where I know the word seems to care about it, and I don't. Like, there's a, there's a priority in Scripture that I just don't have. Uh, and I think the prayer list is called, like, pray for things I don't value appropriately. Like, it's something like that, where I'm just like, there's just these things, and I'll read it. I'm like, I don't care about that as much as, as some people do. I need to. And I need to not because I need to. I need to because God does. So that needs to matter to me more. And so I've just started praying, God, there are things in my life I need, I, need to, I need to matter more to me because they matter more to you. And so go to God and go, don't let this happen because it's his reputation. Don't let my sin ruin your reputation, God. Return. Now here's the cool thing as, you, as, as the passage finishes is that through that kind of full-bodied full-personed repentance. And I just need to pause here. Repentance is not always just mental. That's often how we treat it. I now think differently about this sin. I now think differently about what I've done. But repentance includes life, right? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to think like this anymore. I'm going to think like that. And so repentance... The, the act of repentance is not just one and done in the sense of how you then live. It, it continues. Even if your forgiveness is given by God and you have it and you receive it, like, like you're there. You, you don't do that so that God's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I am okay with you then. I'm totally fine. Right? It, it is not where you have this like, I got to do 15 things in order to make God right again. It's not placating God. But walking rightly with God, I'll use the word, demands certain ways of changing behavior, especially if we're deep in sin. We have to do things differently. Repentance has a whatever-it-takes attitude. 
And when I talk to people who might be in kind of some beset sin and they're trying to get out of it, for the sake of their walk with God and their walk with others, not for, again, not for the sake of their salvation, when they're trying to get out of it, when they start saying things like, how long do I have to keep feeling, like, like how long do I have to keep talking about it? I'm like, as long as it takes. As long as it takes. If you didn't want to talk about it, you shouldn't have done it. Right? Like, 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 that, like we got to go there. But now that we're in it, yeah, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. There are people that I will ask questions to about things from years ago. I'm like, hey, how's that thing? You know, is that, is that still an issue? Is pornography still an issue in your life? I know it almost ruined your marriage a while back. Like, is, are, are we good in that sense? Like, it, it's like, oh, no, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm working. My phone still has no access to anything. It's just basic, it can just basically make calls. I'm like, great. Sometimes repentance is going, I have to have a dumb phone. That's it. It just makes phone calls. Um, like, there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to get to some spot where you're like, well, now I'm back. I'm like, just don't play that game. Right? Like, just be done with it. And so there's this full response that we make, full with our lives. And then you see that reception of God's blessing, the restoring of his people and his nation that we see here with Israel in uh, 18 and forward. Then, right, now this seems to be like as it happened. They called it and it seems to have happened. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner from you, that would be the invader, and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea, his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land. And be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Even the restoration that we receive when we repent and turn is God's glory. It's his rejoice and be glad, for he has done great things. He has made it right. He has brought this into the right relationship. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The trees bear its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. And so he's even talking to the animals. Don't worry. You'll have water to drink and food to eat, grass to eat. The trees will bear fruit. And so you see that, that blessing even in God's response is not just all restore your relationship. But it's, you're going to be a people who flourish. Your land will flourish. Your lives will flourish. Everything will, will be better as you walk in this repentance. Be glad and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given the early rain for your vindication. He's poured down for you abundant rain and early, the early and latter rains as before. The threshing floors, that's where they beat out wheat and grain and create them they're like their their food sources they'll be full of grain vats shall overflow with wine and oil i will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten the hopper the destroyer the cutter that's the, all the things they're doing the great army which i sent among you you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied do you see how repentance and restoration with god isn't just i'm going to get you back to empty right like i'm just going to get you back to e on the thing just give you enough gas to get through it's like no i'm filling you up Right? You're getting everything. 
You're not just going to have enough to eat. You're going to be fully satisfied. You're going to feast. This is the heart of God as he restores people's lives. Right? Think about it in relationship to our walk with Christ. You don't just get your sins forgiven. You get moment by moment life with God, with his spirit. And not only that, but you get a future heaven and earth with no sin, with no shame, with only rejoicing, and with him present with you. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Where he is our light source and he is our life. That's what we get. God's not like, I'm just going to get you through today. All right, like that's it. I'm just going to kind of like that. That's like, I'm going to give you your per diem. Don't spend it all in one place. You, you see God's response is, I'm giving you everything. It's not prosperity gospel for God to restore us and do even more than we had anticipated. The, the, the darkness of the prosperity gospel is if you do this, then God will do that. And if this didn't happen, then you didn't do this right. Right? You need certain things from God. He owes you certain things. And I, we reject that outright. You didn't get it because you didn't pray hard enough. You didn't give it, get it because you didn't give enough. Had you given more, you would have done this. Right? That, that, that kind of perspective feasts on poverty. This is about what God does when his people turn to him. Sometimes marriages walk through really dark things. You've probably seen it. You might be in it. And for those who turn to God, those marriages that turn to God with their full hearts, so often, one, two, five, I don't know how many years it takes at times, they look back and they go, I would have never imagined that my marriage would be here in this spot. That it not only is good enough, but that it thrives. Because it's, it's, it's like we, we don't have this perspective of thriving. But, but God wants his people to thrive. And thriving is not circumstantial. Because, like we said, from the palace to a prison cell, you can delight in God. With full bank accounts and empty bank accounts, you can rejoice in your Savior. You have the benefits of his word and his salvation, and so you are able to delight in him. The judgment's removed. The land is blessed. The people are blessed. It is more than they could imagine, and that is what we get as we walk with Jesus more than we could have imagined. I mean, honestly, most of us are like, if I could pay my bills and not have a fight today with my wife, basically, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Like, that's it. Like, that's the view we have of, like, walking with God. If I could just pay the bills and not have a fight, the Lord's returning. But that, I don't think, has this, right, in full embodied return to God which in this instance includes prayer, fasting, together, corporately. And as we get into February and we consider corporate prayer and fasting together, those will be things we go, what are we doing? Why are we doing those things? But what we then see as we put this all together is that God graciously restores. He graciously restores 
a whole community wholeheartedly returning to him. He restores it. What does Joel 2 teach us about that process as we, as we consider it? Well, first, there's a realization of sin. That's what that begins with, realizing the sin and its consequences, corporate or individual. There's the recognizing of God's position toward you for us and his, his provision of his son for you. Look to Jesus Rejoice in his provision. Return all you are, all that you have to the Lord. With all your heart. And receive what God will restore for you. This for us is all provided through the work of Jesus. That we get to enjoy the provision of Christ for us and for our salvation, the freedom that we receive. 